helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. There was a time in this country when doctors were looked up to like gods. American medicine was, and I believe still is, the most technically advanced and capable in the world. Why else would elites travel halfway around the world to be treated by American doctors in American hospitals? Why would so many medical students come here to study? But I believe something is rotten and festering in our medical system. Something evil that should terrify all of us. That thing is centralization. It used to be that most people had a family doctor, someone who knew them and practiced medicine, by which I mean they looked at you as a unique human being. They worked with you to determine the best course of action for whatever your medical concerns were, then observed you and adjusted your treatment plans accordingly. Sadly, this art of medicine seems to be disappearing as medical professionals seem more focused on codes and protocols than people. In today's program, I'm going to be interviewing Scott Shara. Uh, he's the father of a daughter that was killed by medical staff at a Wisconsin hospital. The story of what happened to his grace will break your heart, but I hope it will also motivate you to prepare so that should you find yourself in a similar situation to Scott, you can find a better outcome than the one he has. Hello there, Everyday Americans. Paul Engler here with the Constitution Study. I'm so glad you could join me today. Yes, I, I know the interview is going to be a heartbreaker, but I think it's something we need to be warned about and we need to be aware of. So today's going to be just a little bit different than, than many of my recent episodes. I remember as a child, right, we looked up to doctors. We did whatever doctors told us. Doctors were trusted. And I believe they earned a lot of that trust. You know, Think of the doctor from the movie Field of Dreams. You know, the one that always took care of people, that, that always seemed to make sure that the, the needy got what they needed and that people were treated, well, again, as individuals and cared for. Sadly, it seems those days are gone. My, uh, I've said before, my wife has a neurological disease. She has MS. And sadly, you know, it seems doctors seem more interested in protocols than they are in people. And it's getting harder and harder to find a doctor that isn't so wedded to some giant medical conglomerate that they will actually treat you as an individual, not as a number, not as a code, not as just their next patient in the long line of nameless, faceless people that they will see that day. To me, that's sad. I remember when my father-in-law was ill and, and there were concerns in the family about his treatment. We were concerned that he wasn't getting the treatment he needed. And my mother-in-law, she grew up in the age where you never questioned doctors. I remember offering to her, I said, if you want, I can do that. I'll be the one. I can go in and question the doctors. Give me a medical power of attorney, and I will go in, and we will find out if, if the treatment is actually best for your husband. I loved my in-laws very much, both of which, by the way, have passed. 
but I was willing to do that because I knew that if we just left it to the system, well, the system wouldn't see him as a person, as a husband and a father and a brother. They would see him as just another patient. These fears were con- confirmed as we went through COVID. I watched as the idea of practicing medicine became not simply unacknowledged, it became forbidden in many places. Doctors were not allowed to talk about, hey, I observed this. I had a patient, I had multiple patients that had this disease. I gave them this treatment. They had this outcome. They were canceled from social media. They were poo-pooed. They were ignored because it didn't follow the, the protocols being established by the bureaucrats. I watched as as uh, doctors' offices, which it, let's face it, have never been the uh, uh, the pinnacle of efficiency, at least where I've been, as they became more like uh, assembly lines, where the patient came in, they performed the same pro- you know uh, uh, procedures on them, and then they rolled them out. Now, don't get me wrong; I've had some really great doctors. I've had some fairly lousy doctors. But the idea that it's still my body and I get to decide what is best. When my daughter was was a child, I was responsible for her care, not the doctor. The doctor there was to advise me, not to dictate to me. And I believe we've lost that. And I believe that has come with some tremendous consequences. I've covered covered other instances where um, families were destroyed by well, medical protocols, where children were effectively kidnapped by the hospital. The parents denied not only consent to what was being done, but even information was about what was being done, even the ability to see their children. There are accusations of uh, treatments being promoted that not only didn't treat the problem, but in many cases actively contributed to the death of the patient. Now, I'm not saying there aren't situations where it's you have to try radical things because there's no other hope. We're talking about situations where people were doing okay until the medical treatment started and then suddenly went downhill. I've watched while the legal, the law enforcement, what we euphemistically call the justice system, have sided with the doctors and the hospitals above the patients and their guardians. And I don't know about you, but that should that should frighten all of us. You know, recently uh, our, our doctor's practice closed, and my wife and I had to find another doctor. And to find a doctor that, again, wasn't part of a giant bureaucratic process was fairly difficult. Because at, at this point, I, I'm, are people afraid of these bureaucratic processes? Of being treated by these machine, these assembly line doctor's offices. I remember going to uh, to one doctor and you'd sit there and wait. You'd have an appointment and you'd wait one, two hours. And when you said, what's going on? Is there an ETA? They said, oh yeah, there was, there was an emergency beforehand. And I said, well, why didn't you tell me when I signed in? Why did you not warn me? Why did you not care that I was here on my time? I remember another one that was so bad at it, I actually fired him. 
I remember sitting um, in the waiting in the waiting room, waiting, finally being brought back to exam room, waiting, 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 waiting. Finally, I had to leave. I was there. I mean, I worked for a living. I had already been there over an hour, maybe an hour and a half, and I had yet to see to see the doctor. Now they were kind. They said, "Oh, we're so sorry. Um, we'll reschedule for tomorrow morning. You will be. Uh, you come in. We will take care of you right away." They did. They brought me back fairly quickly. But again, I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And when I asked where the doctor was, I found out he was in the middle of a deposition. Are you kidding me? If he's in the middle of a deposition, why are you scheduling patients when he's going to be on a conference call for a deposition? I fired him on the spot. But I know that is the exception, not the rule. Most people simply put up with this. We don't take the time to think beforehand, hey, what can I do? What should I do to prepare for different medical situations? What do I do if there's a, 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 a catastrophic diagnosis? What do I, have to, I do if there's a serious injury? And worst of all, consider, would I actually be safe going to the hospital? I mean, let's face it. The hospital is full of sick people. There are a lot of germs. It's not necessarily the safest place to be. But now I'm beginning to wonder how many hospitals where it's not the it's it's not the 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 germs that are going to get you. It's the protocols. Don't get me wrong. I know a lot of people in the medical profession, and I believe the vast majority of them are caring people. They want to help people. But I have to wonder. You know, when we have these protocols and we have a, a, a legal system that protects them from the consequences of those protocols, especially when they turn out to be deadly. I, I recorded an interview uh, just a little while ago with a, a Scott Shara. Uh, he is a father of a, a Down syndrome daughter who, based on what he described, was killed by medical professionals in the hospital. I don't mean that, uh, uh, you know, something happened and she died. I mean, it sounds awful close to actively killed. The, the, the interview, I have to, it, it was, it was heart wrenching. And if, if you're of a sensitive nature and this would disturb you, please don't listen to the second and third segments of this, of the show. But if you can, please listen Maybe you can help. Maybe you can help spread the word about grace. Maybe you can help uh, the Shara family as they're proceeding with their lawsuit. More importantly, though, maybe you can take some time and think of what would I do? What would happen if it was my daughter or my wife or my husband that was in that situation? What would I do? Making preparations beforehand. I've heard lots of people talk about uh, medical powers of attorney and 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 a lot of other legal documents, a, a patient's bill of rights, and a lot of that. I don't know if that would have helped Scott and his daughter Grace, but I know these are things we may want to start thinking of. We may want to stop depending on the medical system to protect our life, to protect our health, and start seeing them as someone there to help us protect it for ourselves.
I'm not saying the medical practice is is deadly and don't deal with it. There are again the I believe the vast majority of doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners and and physicians assistants and office personnel are wonderful 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 people. But there's an old saying. The body won't go where the mind hasn't been. And and just as I think you'll find that that Scott was unprepared. He hadn't thought of these things. So when he they he encountered them for real, he was caught flat-footed. I'd much rather have you have a little bit of preparation beforehand. And then I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. If you if you can listen to the program, if it is that too just you know, again I understand there are people, especially mothers out there, that may have a hard time listening to this. I completely understand. But I'm going to ask you to go to the website, graceshara.com. That's S-C-H-A-R-A, graceshara.com. And sign up for the updates. And I'm asking you to do that for two reasons. One is I think we want to find out what's going on with this lawsuit and learn how we may be able to use it to protect ourselves and our families. But I also want to do it because I don't want Scott to feel alone. During the interview, he mentioned that that uh, um, he's keeping track. When you sign up, he sees the names. He sees these as, as people that, that want to know what's going on, that want to come alongside and, and help him. And I think that's something we can do. And let's face it, it doesn't cost you very much. It doesn't cost you any money. It costs you a little bit of time. A little bit of time to sign up. A little bit of time to read his his me- his messages and his notes. You know, I'm I'm reminded of the story of Job. And after Job, you know, after the his his farm was destroyed, his animals were destroyed, his kids were killed, he got sick, he got boils, his friends showed up. Three friends showed up. They were so shocked by what they saw, they just sat there silently for a week. It was the smartest thing these people said. I think maybe Scott and his family could use some of that as well. Could use people that just they just know, although they're not physically there, they're with him. They're sitting there silently with him as he mourns his daughter, as he goes through the struggle that, that this will the strain that this will put on his family, and as he goes through the lawsuit as well. I think there are enough people in this country that have enough humanity in their heart that they'll join us. That they'll they'll sign up for the, the newsletter, that they'll listen to this program, that they'll share it so that more and more people can find out what happened to this man's dear grace and what's happened to his family and the, the, the tragedy and the anguish that they were put through. That he's not alone. Again, he's not alone. But sometimes all of us need to be reminded of that fact that we are not alone. And you can help. You know, there's an old saying, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Imagine being in a situation where your health is compromised and the very people that you entrust to help restore your health or the health of a loved one are actually contributing to their death. I, as a father, I cannot 
truly imagine what this family has gone through. And I think it's worth some time to learn about what happened, to understand the pain, to share in it with this family, and most of all, to learn from it so that others don't have to go through what this family has gone through. My interview with Scott Shara is right after this break, but I hope you'll let us take some time and pay just a few bills. I hope one of the things you'll check out is Healthy Cell. They are a leading innovator in supplements that work at the cellular level. One of the ones that, that I use regularly is called Immune Super Boost. It combines over a dozen immune supplements into a single, easy-to-use, travel-ready gel pack. Something I can throw in my bag, my briefcase, the car, the, the car, and take when I need it. And it helps my body remain strong. Helps fight off all the, the diseases, all the germs and the viruses. Hey, just the stuff we live in day in and day out. So if you want to support your immune system, especially on the go, go to HealthyCell.com. Check out Immune Super Boost. In fact, while you're at it, check out all of their great products. They have some wonderful ones that I use regularly. And as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off your first order. All you have to do is use the code OUTLOUD at checkout. So please, go to HealthyCell.com. Check out all their products. Again, Immune Super Boost is on my list today, but they've got some wonderful products. They've got the REM sleep and the focus and recall and, and all sorts of others. But when you check out, when you build your cart and you check out, make sure you use that code OUTLOUD. It lets them know that you listen to America Out Loud. And as a thank you, they'll give you 25% off your first order. And hang on through the break. We'll have that interview with Scott Shara right after this. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. We wouldn't go a day without washing our hands, brushing our teeth, and washing our nose. Well, wait. We wash our nose? Yes, the number one place where bacteria, viruses, and pollen enter the body is through the nose. So the average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for bacteria, viruses, and irritants to get into your nose and make you sick. For an extra layer of protection, wash your nose with Clear. That is Clear, X-L-E-A-R. Clear's drug-free nasal spray features xylitol, an ingredient proven to block adhesion of many nasty bacteria and viruses, and effectively clean, not just rinse like a saline, but wash your nose. Clear nasal spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. Read the research studies for yourself at clear.com. 
That's xlear.com. Protect yourself from the pathogens and junk you breathe. Pick up a bottle for you and your family today. AmericaOutloud.com. If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought, working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You have rejoined the Constitution Study, and I have the pleasure of having with me Scott Shara. Uh, He is the mother of a lovely lady by the name of Grace, and he has, in my mind, a a truly heartbreaking story to to tell. Scott, welcome to the Constitution Study. Can you give just a little bit of background about about you and your daughter, Grace? Sure. My uh, my name is Scott Shera. You know, I'm I'm just Grace's dad. <laughs> There's nothing special about me. I've been a business owner most of my life, uh, well over half of my life. I've started four businesses from scratch, and you know, ultimately, I'm here because my beautiful daughter Grace was killed in a hospital. Grace was 19 years old when she died. She had Down syndrome. She was very high functioning, uh, partially. I think for three reasons, partially because, of course, God made her that way. Uh, but we also never vaccinated her with nothing. I think that's a, a big part of it. And then I think a, a huge part of it is my wife did a great job homeschooling. Grace could read and write because of my wife. Um, Grace could, uh, there's really nothing she didn't do. I mean, she she uh, played violin. She rode a horse. I taught her how to drive. Uh, she deer hunted with me. So you can imagine, I mean, she just... It, it it the thing is is compared to a quote normal end quote kid uh grace was very little trouble because she just loved unconditionally which you know she she was a very special gift from god paul um that's she she um she knew her heavenly father she called me earthly dad she called my wife earthly mom yeah just she she was so special uh, I don't know why God chose us to have her, but uh, boy, I'm glad he did. She made life worth living. Yeah, yeah, the stories, the blessings of people. And isn't it interesting, you know, people are, are so afraid of Down syndrome and, and you know, the way they treat it, but so many people with Down syndrome are the most loving, caring people you've ever met. It's amazing how we, we treat them, but... You know, Grace, uh, I, I never got to meet Grace. She sounds like a wonderful lady. Uh, she sounds like, uh, obviously, the apple of your eye. But what happened to her was truly terrible. And uh, I, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's painful, but you, I know you've told this before. Could, could you give us just a, a brief understanding of, of what Grace went through? And then we'll talk about the aftermath and, and, and what you're working on. So the the setting here is October of 2021. Um, we had uh, <clears throat> been planning on going to a wedding on October 1st, and Grace had a cold. So we thought, well, you know, we had bought into at least some of the propaganda. So we thought that 
we should get a home test and test her so that if she had COVID, we wouldn't go to the wedding. But of course, she was well enough to go. Otherwise, we wouldn't have even got the test. But we did get the test, and then she tested positive with the home test. So we didn't go to the wedding. And then we started the FLCCC protocol right away. We had everything at home already, including ivermectin. So we started everything. And the one piece of that protocol that I wish we would have never started was monitoring her oxygen saturation. And so we had a pulse ox. We started monitoring her oxygen saturation. And the protocol at the time said that if that number goes below 94%, admit yourself to the hospital. So it went to 88% on October 6th. And so we dutifully went to the hospital and you know, ultimately Grace died seven days later. And, you know, Grace wasn't have a, having a hard time breathing, uh, none of that. The reason we went to the hospital is because I failed in my responsibility to critically think. Uh, and I, I'll be very specific there. If we would have owned a pulse ox before COVID and measured Grace's oxygen saturation every time that she was had the flu or cold, we would have found that going into the 80s is normal. I mean, that happens when you have cold or flu. So then we, you know, we would have just said, okay, she's got a bad cold. Let's, you know, let's um, put Vicks on her chest. Let's get some humidity in her with a vaporizer and uh, some sunshine and, you know, all the things that you should do. And Grace would be alive today. But, you know, I felt trapped to the fear of the propaganda, you know, and ultimately uh, took Grace to the hospital. Uh, I stayed with her from October 6th until the 10th. The 10th, I was taken out by an armed guard. And then we hired an attorney because we needed an advocate for Grace. My wife couldn't do it. And and they just wouldn't let us in. So my daughter Jess agreed to do it. And, you know, but we had to hire an attorney. So Grace didn't have an advocate for over 45 hours. What, and what, we found excuse out, me a second. What was the logic for removing you? Well, there is no logic. Um, but their excuse is a better word. Their excuses for removing me were threefold. Uh, number one was uh, the last three shifts of nurses don't want you in the room was what they told me. And I'll, I'll explain that in, in a minute because the second two are a lot easier. The second excuse was you've been shutting off the alarms at night. And, you know, that was foolishness because the nurses trained me how to shut off the non-essential alarms because they're going off constantly. And so they taught me how to do it because that way Grace could get some sleep. And then third, she said, this is the head nurse who I'm talking about. She said, we suspect you have COVID. And, you know, that's laughable because they're the ones who told me I was going to get COVID. Of course, you're going to get COVID. You're in a room with somebody with COVID. You know, so I had COVID. I tested myself with a home test because I got a, had a fever about one o'clock in the afternoon on the first day in the hospital with Grace. I tested myself. I tested positive. Yeah, so I mean that was no biggie, but the the um, the last three shifts of nurses don't want you in the room excuse was real because I was challenging things, and I'll give you I'll give you some examples. You know the and, you know I wasn't I wasn't challenging challenging them mean. It just you know these things are egregious what they're doing, and you know I didn't think they're trying to kill her at this point, but you know on October eighth the pulmonologist came in and said, you're going to have to put your daughter on a ventilator in the next two hours. I said, what is that based on? That doesn't make any sense. He said, well, we did this blood gas draw the night before. I said, well, retake it. 
I mean, it doesn't make sense. So they retake it and Greece is fine. So, I mean, they're, they already were pushing the ventilator, you know, the, the second day of Grace's stay. The third day, you know, Grace is doing fine. So I started feeding her. The nurse came running in and said, you can't feed her. You know, of course, Grace could feed herself, but she couldn't with a BiPAP mask on. I said, what, what's, why can't I feed her? And she said, well, her oxygen saturation is only at 85%. I said, well, that doesn't, you know, I didn't say this right at the moment, but I processed it for all five minutes. I thought to myself, this doesn't make any sense. So I tested Grace myself with, with the pulse ox, and it, it, the pulse ox showed 95%. So I called the nurse back in. I asked her if my meter was accurate. She said, yes, it is. I said, well, why is my meter reading 95% and yours is reading 85%? And she said, the leads get sweaty. And I said, well, if you know that, why don't you proactively change out the leads every four or five hours or whatever it takes so you have an accurate reading, given this is the primary statistic you're using to manage my daughter's care. And she shook her finger at me and said, you should just be thankful you caught this. And then the last one that that <clears throat> probably they realized, I mean, we got to get rid of this guy. So the night before they kicked me out, they still would not feed Grace. And I was insisting on it. I said, listen, you can feed Grace. And I said, you, I'm the one in charge of my daughter's care, not the doctor. I said, we can feed her. I said, they come in and, and moisten her mouth multiple times a day because of this BiPAP grinding out. And, and all we have to do is follow the protocol. They put in a, a different cannula. They turn the flow down and Grace's oxygen stays fine. So that's, we'll just do it that way. We can feed her. And they refused. They said, the doctor won't let us do that. You can't, we, we got to do only the BiPAP or a high flow cannula. So they literally refused to feed her. So, I mean, it's, you know, now that I look at it in hindsight, you know, when you're live there and you see this happen to you, you just think, well, I, I actually was able, it was a Sunday morning. I was able to call an attorney friend of mine and get his perspective because I argued with this head nurse for an hour with the armed guard standing there. And then she finally said, listen, you need to leave immediately or we're calling the Appleton Police Department. So I called my friend, the attorney, and, and he recommended that I should just leave peacefully. So the armed guard walked me out to the truck. And the armed guard said to me at that point when we got to the truck, because he, you know, he heard all of this. And he said, Scott, you need to take this to a higher level. So I, I know my first thought is, how about I call the police for the, for the uh, uh, abuse you're performing on my daughter? Well, I get that, but I mean this. Yeah, I, at the time you realize, don't think of these things, right? Well, but it's it's uh, unfortunate. But I mean, there's there's way more stories that are similar to mine, where you know the police follow what the hospital says. You know, it's almost as if the hospital is given the hospitals and doctors are given a um, a level of authority that they have not earned. You know, where the patient or the parent is. You know, we're we're uh, a useless party. Our opinion doesn't matter. We can never be telling the truth. You know, the high and mighty doctor, the high and mighty administration, they're put up on a pedestal. And um, lots of stories that I've heard, you know, the police are arresting people. Yeah, it, it, it truly is. It's shocking. I mean, it, it's even gotten a term. It's now medical kidnapping. And it, it, it truly is an egregious situation. And not just for, you, know, you think about the, the people like you and your family that have to live with this and the other families that have to live with this. I think of the distrust it 
gives people in the entire medical profession. Um, to you know, doctors have have always been arrogant. Since we've had doctors, they've been arrogant. But the the um, not just the pedestal, but the very idea that uh, once you enter a hospital, you no longer have any rights. You're just here to do what the what the doctors say, and many of those doctors are simply following what the bureaucrats are saying. And how many people have suffered and died from this? It's it's it is it is truly heartbreaking. Um, you know, so I, I, I want to take some time. I want well, to. You said a have- mouthful. Yeah, I mean, you said a mouthful there. We've got to cover some of those things you said before we get back into the story because I know you asked it rhetorically how many people have died, but it's it's a big deal. 1.2 million people have died in the last 39 months under this COVID foolishness. And I'm talking about hospital deaths now with COVID as a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And we are number one on the planet. The United States is number one on, on the planet of all 200 countries by far. Number two is India with 531,000 deaths, and India's population is four times that of the United States. So this is not a laughing matter. But That's why I'm out trying to share this, because people need to hear that this is real stuff. You know, everybody's focused on the, you know, the awake crowd is focused on, on the vaccine lane, but the hospital murder lane is significantly more bodies. Because, yeah, you know, it's funny, we refer to them as COVID deaths. These aren't COVID deaths. These Not are hospital malpractice deaths. If if she could be on less oxygen, if you could if you could prove, you put her on a lower floor of oxygen, her pulse ox remains at an acceptable level. That means she doesn't need the high flow oxygen. And if she doesn't need the high flow oxygen, then there's no way that she needs a um, a ventilator. And this, I mean, this is beyond common sense. But you're telling me that they know their tests are are defective. The the nurse admitted the test is defective, but they're going to ignore that and keep her on this on on this treatment that is not warranted and does harm to her body. This is this is homicide. Well, I I agree. I mean, you called it malpractice. Malpractice has an incidence of negligence with it. I don't I don't see this as negligence. And I'm not talking just about Grace's case. I'm talking about. You know, I, I would say out of the 1.2 million hospital deaths in the 90 percentile are some version of taking people out with protocols known to kill. You know, so that is not um, that's not negligence. Yeah, that's not an action. You know, that's that's an intention. That's intent. Correct. I mean, you cross over one of the doctors who reviewed the records early on with me. This is before I saw the intent of it because I was not awake to it. I didn't. But when she but she was used to to med combinations, which we'll go into next. The the med combination they used on Grace when she saw it and how they did it and the timing, she said, I mean, this was back in November. So a month after Grace died, uh, she said, Scott, there's not even a question as to intention. You know, I wasn't there yet because, you know, mentally you can't get there. Right. You know, mm-hmm. doctors intentionally killing somebody. I mean, that that's uh, that takes a lot for the human mind to accept that. Yeah, that's not manslaughter. That is murder. You know, when 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 it's, it's not an accidental act, when it becomes an intentional act um, that 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 changes tremendously. 
Um, Scott, I have to take a, a quick break. I do want to pick this up on the other side. I want to cover what you want to cover, but I also want to talk a bit about the lawsuit you have and uh, the constitutional interest I have in in, in it. But uh, let me let me take a quick break. Listen, I want to remind all of my listeners that the Constitution study is one of many voices here on AmericaOutloud.com. Please stop by every day to find out the latest news and happenings. And then take the links, take the, the stories, the articles, the podcasts, the videos. We have a tremendous story here. Please take it and share it. Help other people hear what is going on to get the facts and the data. That is how we can secure the blessings of liberty. And we'll be right back after this quick break. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be with a company that shares your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan a plan based on real science that responds to the real-world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure, a plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com Welcome back, Everyday Americans. If you join the Constitution study, and I have Scott Shara here, and he's telling us the wonderful story about his, his lovely daughter, Grace, and the truly horrific stuff that happened to her. And, and Scott, we, when, we, when we left off, um, we were talking about the, the things that led up to Grace's death. And it's got to be sad and a painful thing to discuss. I appreciate your willing to come on and letting us know what happened to your daughter. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that you have have me on, Paul. So what happened was so after I was taken out by an armed guard, we had about 45 hours without advocacy. We found out after the fact and looking at the records that they had started Grace on a sedation med called Presidex, which was only supposed to be used for no more than 24 hours. But they were trying to get us to buy into the idea of a ventilator, and the patient has to be sedated. While we didn't have advocacy, they increased the dose of Presidex six different times. And so instead of taking care of my little buddy, they tried to sedate her to, to make her. I mean, I, I, when I think about it, I get sick. 
And so now my daughter, Jessica, became the replacement advocate. My wife, Cindy, had COVID at the time. And, you know, Jessica was obviously monitoring Grace's oxygen. I told her, you got to pay attention to this because the hospital's not. And all night long on the night before Grace died, her, in spite of being now sedated for four days and Presidex reduces oxygen saturation, uh, Grace still was at 98 and 99% the whole night. Grace was still herself. She sat up in bed the night before and Jess called her two boys, Grace's nephews, and she's she hollered to them, hi, boys, through the BiPAP mask. So she was still herself. The next morning, October 13th, which was Grace's last day, the doctor called Cindy and I, and the purpose of the call was to try to convince us to give them a pre-authorization for a ventilator. This was now the fifth time. And they've always framed this as these type of things ha tend to happen in the middle of the night. So we want to have this just in case. Well, as I found out after the fact, that is really not true. What they want is they're going to put somebody on a ventilator once you give them a pre-authorization because that's where the big money is. Mm -hmm. And so we decided no again. And he immediately switched gears and said, Grace had such a good day yesterday. Let's work on nutrition. And interestingly, while we were on the phone with him, now you look at the timeline. Now we have the timeline, right? So you look at, you know, we're on the phone with him. They increased the dose of Presidex to the maximum allowable dose. And I believe they thought great that was going to take Grace out because eight minutes after they increased the Presidex, the doctor, and simultaneous with hanging up the phone with us, he put an illegal do not resuscitate order on Grace. Well, then they combined Presidex with lorazepam and morphine. Paul, you and I couldn't have survived that. So in 29 minutes, Grace has those meds all in her system. An hour and 10 minutes later, she died. And when Jessica called us panicking on a FaceTime call at 7.20 p.m., this is just eight hours after the phone call with the doctor telling us he had, Grace had such a good day, we should work on nutrition. She pa she's panicking now, and she said, Dad, Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy. I said, get the nurses in. She said, I've been trying. They refuse. So Cindy and I start screaming, save our daughter. They wouldn't even come in the room. They holler from outside the room. She's DNR. That's how we learned she's DNR. You know, obviously, the records now show the doctor put the DNR order on Grace at 1056 that morning. And so we hollered back, she's not DNR. Save our daughter. They still refused. And so we watched Grace die in a FaceTime call at 727 on October 13th of 2021. So I, I have to ask, and, and uh, this is nothing, again, you're dealing with this real time and, and you know, it's, it's always the most difficult. Did you actually, did you ever consider filing criminal charges of murder against the doctor? Because what you describe. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. It doesn't work that way in in Wisconsin, the DA has to, the district attorney has to be the one that opens up a case. And they did open up a case. And then they they were looking into the DNR. They said, we don't have enough evidence, but they agreed that they would look at the case again uh, once we got uh, attorneys involved. So we didn't have a, a legal team at that point. It, 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 truly is, it truly is heartbreaking because what you describe uh, is nothing short of euthanasia. Because I agree. If, if she's at 98, 99%, my question is, why is she not going home? I, 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 of course, agree with you 100%. And, and you know, and, and 
again, it's one of the reasons why I tell people you need to have a relationship with your sheriff to make sure they will protect your rights. Because that's the scenario where you need to go in with the sheriff to physically remove your daughter because she's being harmed by this system. Now, I understand, you know, the, the, the criminal complaint is still being, you know, investigated by the district attorney. You have a, a civil lawsuit, a civil complaint um, that's currently being worked through. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. The So in Wisconsin, the hoop you have to jump through. So on March 30th, we held a press conference because that's the day we filed the request for mediation with the director of state courts. That's a that is a statutory requirement. So that's still in play uh, because it's not it, they supposedly have to have that all buttoned up. It's not it's a it's not a mandatory um it's, or I shouldn't say it's it's mandatory mediation, but it's non-binding. Mm -hmm. So then um, we filed the actual lawsuit last Tuesday, February 11th, and we filed that with the in the Outagamie County Civil Court. Um, so we filed that against the hospital, uh, five doctors and two nurses, and the five doctors and two nurses, and then we have some John Doe's listed because you know, obviously we don't have all the records yet, but we're going to be getting a lot more records as we go through discovery. So as and I understand so it, you're suing for wrongful death, medical negligence, medical battery, uh, negligent infliction of emotional distress, and uh, a, a declaratory judgment against the, the, the do not resuscitate order. You you did it exactly right. Um, so it... it so this is still, I mean, this is early days, and, and sadly, you have a, a long and, and difficult road to hoe. Um, some of the reports I saw referred to a hurdle you may have to overcome involving the PREP Act, the, the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, in, in your description, what I've read, I guess maybe I'm a little, I'm not sure how that actually fits. So do you understand what... what is the PREP Act part of this story or, or it, not? It, we believe that we're, we're not under the PREP Act. You know, the legal team looked at that in a degree of detail. I have the email up on my screen right now uh, with, their, with their summary of it. And the reason is, is, you know, so one of the reasons is none of the drugs used on Grace were under emergency use authorization. Okay. Um, so that was one of them. Uh you know, the, the PREP Act, even so intentional, um, intentional actions are not covered under the PREP Act anyway, but we don't even see the case as being under the PREP Act. Right. That's why I was confused, because when, when I hear the PREP Act, the first thing I think of is, is the vaccines. But this didn't deal with the vaccines. This dealt with the actions of the hospital. Um, so uh, does your legal team... What, what what's their kind of temperature on this? Do, do they think it's a shot in the dark? Do they think there's a there's a good chance? I mean, I look at this as potentially a watershed for so many other cases. That's the way they see it. I mean, we have um, quite a legal team involved. Um, it's we're looking at this as a, a, a precedent setting case. Um, you know, we're all in on it. They're all in on it. It had we've got a. a whole bunch. This isn't just a um, small time attorney just looking at it and 
you know, hoping for something. We, you know, medic, first of all, I mean, you, you start with a premise that it is near impossible to even file. I'm sure you realize that, yeah. you know, in the most, most of the states have laws that re- prevent you from filing and they prevent it from, from filing for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, first of all, I, I'll go through a few of those, you know, they start with, um, so I talked with the best medical malpractice attorney in Wisconsin early on. I never thought we'd be filing a case because he told me that even in slam dunk cases like this appears to be, you only have a one in 10 chance of winning. And so I said, I don't understand that. He said, well, let me share an example. He said, I, I represented a family where the husband had a sponge sewed up inside of him as a result of surgery and we lost. And so I said, how is that possible? He said, I brought 10 experts and they brought a hundred they circle the wagons around their own we're going up against ascension hospital system they have 150 hospitals they're the second largest nonprofit hospital system in the united states they have 30 billion in cash so you process who we're going up against this is david versus goliath so that that just is your starting point before you even look at the state statutes in grace's case, Grace was a legal adult. She's 19. That means my wife and I, by state statute, have no claim. So we had to open up an estate for Grace just to file. Mm-hmm. And then you realize what I just told you without telling you is there's no money in the case. So you know, so people don't file, right? Mm-hmm. Because no, attorneys are not taking these cases on a percentage. Because you, you can't, you know, it, a law firm has to pay their bills just like my business has to pay its bills. You can't do services for free. So you have to have clients who have a source of money to pay the legal bill. You know, thankfully, God blessed us in that department. So, I mean, we're funding our own case. But they think that, you know, they, they said this is in the top cases of, of cases they've ever worked on uh, that have medical... Um, malpractice as one of the bases. Of course, this case is way bigger than medical malpractice. That's just one of the claims. So you mentioned a very important point. These these types of suits they're very expensive. Um, you know, it, 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 it's it's long, hard work. Is, is there a place where people can go? Have you set up like a a, a legal fund to help fund this? And, and if so, where can people go to help? So what we did is we set up a um, a landing page. My daughter Jessica is taking care of this. She's doing a great job. Uh, it's gracechara.com, S-C-H-A-R-A.com. And we set that up for people to put in their name and email because we're we're wanting to create a a list of people following the case. And so we're she's she's sending out updates regularly with the case and the story. And, you know, ultimately, we see that as Grace's case gets traction, we'll be able to use her case to fundraise for other cases. This legal team is willing to take on other cases, but we've got to be able to raise money to do that. I mean, I'd, I'd love to have another 10, 100 cases filed um, because then we can get some awareness. I mean, you see, you saw uh, obviously the complaint and you saw a piece that's very unique in the complaint, but also more expensive is that we named five doctors and two nurses. So now there's going to be at least eight sets of attorneys that we're dealing with, Mm -hmm. but we need to do that because it's the, the individual doctors and nurses have to know in this entire country that they're going to be held to account. They cannot use the excuse of following orders are following protocols that kill people. That is not acceptable. 
And this was this is known. Clearly, the combination of meds and graces case is known. Using remdesivir is known. Using ventilators is known. So these, this is not, even though those happen to have um, an exemption under the emergency use authorization, so they have another hoop to jump through, which is the PrEP Act, it's still, it, it's so egregious, we've got to get more cases. And I've talked with literally hundreds of people personally, several people whose cases are even worse than Grace's. But you've got we've got to have, you know, the finances behind it to to help fund other cases. So we see that as, you know, where this, you know, we just filed, Paul, you know, where this is going is only God knows. Um, and, you know, so the financial support is you know, people, we have a gifts and go that's set up through that same that same website that I mentioned, gracesharer.com, so people can, of course, contribute. But you know, we're really after creating, um, so everybody, you know, people often ask, what can we do? Well, you know, you can, sh you mentioned earlier, share this with somebody else. So, I mean, if 10,000 people listen to this, you share it with one people, now we, one person, now we got 20,000. Yeah. And if every single, what you could do for me personally is sign up at gracesharer.com. And that would mean an awful lot to me um, as as a dad to have people who are joining us to follow Grace's story in the case. So that that's Grace Shara S C H A R A GraceShara dot com. That's where they can sign up. They can get more information on what's going on. And you're right; it's about you know, getting the, getting more people involved, more people engaged, uh, whether it's financially or in any other way. Listen, I you know, and I I was very interested when I saw the prep act because. I'm I am looking for somebody that's willing to challenge a prep act because I can prove it's unconstitutional. Uh, yes, and you know I noticed you didn't name your legal team. I don't know if they just don't want the uh, the attention or if it's just you know a habit. But you know, they're they're doing wonderful work. I want to offer. Granted, I'm not an attorney. What I am is a constitutional scholar. Uh, if there's a, if there's something I can do to help from even if it's just a different point of view, seeing something for a different set of eyes. Uh, I, I'd, I'd love to help um, because, like I said, I agree. This is a this can be a seminal moment in in not simply uh, you know medical legal practice, medical jurisprudence, but in the whole framework of medicine to recognize that um, doctors and nurses and hospitals are not God. They don't have the final say. It's still your body. It's still your family. Um, and we need to take back control of our lives. And, and I think this is an important part of it. Scott, it has been a pleasure talking to you. I will make sure to put the link for, you know, grayshower.com and, and a couple of others on the page when it posts. Um, is there anything else we can do or any other message you want to let my, my listeners know before we close out the program? Yeah. The most important message, you know, when people hear this, they, they would obviously instantly become fearful of going into a hospital and i want to don't wait for this case to work its way through the court system to do something you know share the message so that other people are warned but then what can you do to protect yourself and you've got to realize you never gave up your right and the two rights that you didn't give up is the right to fire the doctor you hired the doctor so you have the right to fire the doctor and your right to inform consent mm -hmm. and i know we don't have time to drill those things down right now um but you can take the time on your own and look up what informed consent means because we as United States citizens have got lazy. What happens is you go into a hospital and you kind of just 
say, well, the, you know, the doctor follows the Hippocratic oath and, you know, they're out for my best interest. Well, you're out for your best interest and you've got to make sure you don't uh, tacitly turn over the right to inform consent that you have. And the doctor has an ethical and legal obligation to provide you informed consent. So don't give it up. Don't just roll over and and have them administer meds that you don't know what's going on. If I would have understood my right to informed consent, Grace would be alive today. It's uh, it's powerful and it's saddening. Scott, thank you for your time. I want to remind everybody that they love this type of programming. Please let me know. You can listen to the Constitution Study every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard in the iHeartRadio Network. You can listen on podcast. Uh, with your favorite podcast app, just do me a favor, subscribe, rate the show. It helps other people find the Constitution Study and hopefully find out more about Grace as well. You can find all the links right there at the homepage at americaoutloud.com. But I I encourage you, please, when this hits the podcast, share this story. I I don't want thousands. I want millions of Americans to understand the heartbreak that Scott and his family have gone through. And let's learn the lesson so something like this never, ever happens again. Scott, thank you for your time. I look forward to signing up for the updates and hopefully talking to you in the future to get more updates on your on your case. Well, I'd love to talk to you again, Paul. It was really a pleasure to be on your program. <laughs>